Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. You just go to thetomeshow.com, you click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then you shop as you normally would. It's that easy. Today, we're talking to Greg Tito of Wizards of the Coast and Doug Davidson of Smiteworks, and we'll kick things off with the get-to-know-you question. So, Greg... Uh, what classic D&D magic item is your favorite? I, I thought about this question for a while. Um, I think uh, the Hand of Vecna comes to mind as something that's just <laughs> so macabre and uh, uh, weird, uh, you know, that it, it, I guess it's more of an artifact more than a magic item, but that, that, that adventurers could find it, and if they wanted to, to try and get its power, they'd have to cut off their own hand and replace it with this mummified hand that they had found in the dungeon and and to my knowledge i don't know of any actual party well any dm that included that in their game but then any actual player who decided to do that uh i just think it's awesome though like it's it's, it's just got this great sense of lore to it uh and uh it was really evocative when i was reading these books when i was a kid but then as far as like just you know uh, a classic magic item the in- ring of invisibility has always been uh, a huge part of games that I've played in. And as soon as the party finds one, it <laughs> opens up the door for all kinds of, of, of shenanigans and uh, long discussions of possible things we could do with it. Not even <laughs> to further our goals, but to, to, to mess with you know, the local authorities in our games and things like that. <laughs> I think that one item alone has, has caused the most laughter at, yeah. uh, at at the tables that I've been at, uh, so yeah. You now know a dungeon master, myself, who has gotten a player to cut off his hand and add. Oh no way! To his nice. Body. Yeah, nice. yeah. I was I was just as shocked that when they found it, like <laughs> it wasn't like we must destroy this. The warlock just immediately Eldridge mm. blasts off his own hand and attaches it, and uh, hilarity ensued. So. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, and Doug, you were telling us a little bit about your uh, favorite magic items before we started the podcast. Why don't you tell us again? Sure. So the first thing that came to mind for me was the uh, the girdle of giant strength, because uh, you know it's it's just kind of funny to think of like you know a big bad D and D character running around strapping a girdle on. Hold on a second while I put my girdle on, and then suddenly he's super strong. So you know, I guess it's more like in Hercules when he runs around with his little uh, you know outfit on or whatever. It's one of those kind of things, but just to instantly push your strength up to that next level as a player was was probably my favorite. And then to kind of key off of what Greg had said, I would say the most fun we've probably had with a, a simple and common magic item is is with bag of holding. We've done all kinds of stuff with that where we've had people hide hide in there to escape from guards and then uh, hopefully not run out of air and, and that sort of thing. And I remember one one scenario where we were playing a an evil party, which surprisingly ran very similar to the other parties. I mean, we just kind of go into a dungeon and kill everything and loot everything, so it's very similar. But uh, you know, the party had had a lot of people that were wanted, and we had some people in there that we had. I think they had cut off the head of one of the bad guys and thrown the head into the bag of holding so that they couldn't resurrect him and he couldn't come back after him. <laughs> and then so. So then the rest of the party members didn't want to get into the bag of holding because they had this head floating around in there. <laughs> and so, you know, we, my character was always kind of the troublemaker. So, he, you know, he convinced them, oh, it's okay, we'll take the head out and then, you know, I'll, I'll make a trip back and I'll put the head in later. So 
we took the head out. They climbed in the into the bag of holding, and as soon as they got inside, we chunked the head in there and sealed it up, and then uh, you know trotted around for a while. So just the thought of this head bouncing around in this extra dimensional space with uh, a couple of party members getting <laughs> covered in, in gore and gunk was uh, was a lot of fun. Doug, people may remember you because you've already been on to talk about Fantasy Grounds before. I probably came on a, about a year ago, maybe a little longer. For people out there who don't know about Fantasy Grounds, it's a virtual tabletop uh, that now sells officially licensed Dungeons & Dragons products. Um, talk to people a little bit about Fantasy Grounds who may not know what a virtual tabletop is. Sure. So the whole idea of a virtual tabletop is that uh, you have the same sort of play experience you have around a table, but instead of using the pen and paper, we've digitized it so that you can play it online and, and you can run the game completely remotely where everybody's in a different state, country, whatever, and then just connecting and playing the game. So you, you typically would schedule your games in the same sort of fashion as you do today, and you meet on a recurring schedule, and it's episodic in nature just like it is in, in person, but we've moved it all to the, to the digital uh, you know, interface. So now you've got uh, the benefits uh, to kind of outweigh the fact that you're not there in person are that you can have automation built into it. You have um, very easy-to-reference rules that you can pop up at, at just a click or two. And, uh, you know, you can do some other things that you can't quite do in person, such as hiding information uh, and revealing it, you know, when appropriate and that sort of thing. So that's kind of the, the gist of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's excellent. It's actually one of the main ways that I play my games now is over virtual tabletops. Uh, it's awesome. So thank you for, for all of the work that you and your team does. Uh, it's amazing. So how are Fantasy Grounds and... D&D now married? What does that partnership look like? Yeah, so one of the things that uh, we got a lot of feedback kind of over the years is that people would say, oh, this is great, but the only problem with running a virtual tabletop is that it feels like in order to really take full advantage of all that really cool automation, that sort of stuff, I've got to key in a bunch of information. So whenever I have an NPC, I feel compelled to then go through and then add in all of his stats and abilities, even if I don't use them. And so there was a big kind of a time sink for a DM to, to really feel like they had everything that they could get from the virtual tabletop. Now, you could always run like without that. You could run just like you do in, in person and then just refer back to your printed books. But, uh, you know, it was definitely kind of a, a hurdle there. So what this license now allows us to do is we've kind of pre-done all that work for you and we've preloaded in full modules and you could just go and buy a module full of all the aberrations in the monster manual or you can get the full monster manual content so that those are all preloaded in with all the attacks and everything all pre-keyed and, and ready to go and the resistances for the monsters and so forth. And then you have even images that you can share with the players when they see it. So instead of holding the book up and kind of spinning it around your group and they're all squinting to see it across the table, you can actually just share that as a handout and the players can look at it and then they can close it at their own convenience and, and that sort of thing. And then uh, same thing on the, the player's handbook type material. Those became the uh, complete core class packs with everything in it with the races and, and the spells and inventory and all that kind of stuff that you can now drag and drop to your character sheets. Uh, and then from the adventure side of things, you have uh, fully ready-to-run adventures that you can then run through. And so it'll have all, all the maps pre-keyed and all of the uh, you know the monster tokens pre-placed on the map where they start out. So it makes it really, really fast to get up and running, uh, you know, get up and run a game very quickly if it's one of these... Uh, you know, adventure. So right now we only have the Lost Mine of Fandelver, but we have the other ones are in the work with the Horde of the Dragon Queen and the Rise of Tiamat. Uh, and then the Princes of the Apocalypse is, is still ongoing right now with conversion. 
Uh, but the other two should be ready pretty soon. And then eventually, kind of once we've caught up with the release schedule, the, the goal is that we would be releasing simultaneous with the print, print copy as well. Oh, excellent. So does that mean something like the very recently announced uh, Out of the Abyss could be launching the same time the adventure is available for sale? That is the goal. And so uh, that's kind of the stated goal. And that's what the, um, you know, the, the marketing fluff and everything has been pushed out to, to call attention to that as well, that you know, it's going to be available in all these different platforms. And so you could play it on like Neverwinter Online and, and uh, uh, Sword Coast Legends is going to have like a tie-in as well. And then the, the actual like pen and paper version is going to be out there. And then the conversions for Fantasy Grounds should all be out at the same time. So basically now people can choose you know, one or more ways to experience the same content now. Uh, Greg, all of this ties into uh, the Adventurers League now a little bit too, because online play is now an official region of the Adventurers League, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's what the plan is for uh, uh, Chris Tulak and his team uh, with uh, organized play with the uh, Adventurers League, uh, is to make uh, use of Fantasy Grounds uh, as much as possible uh, and uh, really just try, you know, and it's, it ties into what uh, Doug was just saying is that we want all players of all stripes uh, or or our inclinations to experience the D&D stories that we're putting out. And as everybody's been mentioning, uh, uh, Rage of Demons, uh, the overarching story um, of which the uh, TRPG product is the Out of the Abyss. Um, but uh, it's just going to be a, uh, a, a multi-breath of, of everybody who loves Dungeons & Dragons, who, who may not have a group or may not be able to play on a, on a regular basis. Uh, they can jump into Fantasy Grounds. They can, they can uh, experience it in uh, the really popular MMO that's on Xbox One and, and uh, on the PC uh, and, and experience it all, uh, no matter what way you, you'd like to play. How did this come about? Did Fantasy Grounds approach uh, Wizards? Did Wizards approach Fantasy Grounds? And what attracted you to each other? You know, we had, we had been in contact with uh, the folks at Wizards of the Coast for actually a number of different years. And so um, I think there was some awareness of, of who we were and what we did. And, you know, the timing wasn't quite right for past editions, but with this new edition, um, you know, we, we did a lot of work on preparing a kind of a custom look and feel that I thought would really tie in, you know, the new edition. And, and for me, the new edition really, really, you know, grabbed my attention because uh, it, it it basically caters to the, the type of play style that I really, really like. It's, it's kind of open. You can play it a bunch of different ways. And so uh, we actually invested, you know, a lot of kind of time and effort on even reskinning everything so that it was fully branded with all the D&D logo, logos and, and using actually all the licensed images and that sort of stuff. And we did that just purely for kind of our own uh, use here, but kind of in hopes that, that you know, if if we could demonstrate what the final product would be close to looking like, uh, that that might allow us to get our foot in the door a little bit more. And, and I don't know if that's actually what was the tipping point or if it just happened to be that the cards all, uh, you know, everything kind of came together uh, at the right time and we just happened to come in at the right moment or whatever. Uh, but either way, I'm happy that it, it seems to have worked out. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of discussions kind of leading up to it and then so happy to finally be able to announce it back in uh you know, when we finally announced it back in, I don't wonder if we actually announced it, I guess I'm, I'm already yeah, drawn a blank. April, right? April. Early April. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, for me, it, it's just like a dream come true to finally be able to, to work, uh, with wizards of the coast in an official capacity. And because, you know, we do this sort of stuff for our own use all the time because we've, you know, our, 
bookshelves are full with uh, you know all the various products from all the different editions, and you know my shelves are full of like the miniatures and all that kind of stuff. But, but we, you know, that's one of the things I like about Fancy Grounds is we can go through and customize it. And we can we can make our own version for our own usage. Um, but to be able to share that now, finally, with with uh, everybody and all of the existing fans of Fancy Grounds and the users of Fancy Grounds is is, is definitely been a huge boon for us. And from Wizards' point of view, I think we uh, found uh, Doug's work with Fantasy Grounds really attractive because it allowed people to play in an online capacity whichever way they wanted to. Uh, I, I think that the tools that Doug provides are, are similar to this, the tools that we provide as uh, you know the DMG, the Monster Manual, and the, and the PHB. Like we, we give the, the players the tools to, to make the worlds and create the games that they want to make, and it's up to them to to really make that that a reality. And Fantasy Crowns does the same thing, except through uh, you know providing that online interface. Uh, so every game is definitely their own game. Everybody's you know fantasy world is their own world, uh, and they can use as much or as little of the tool suite of fantasy grounds as they want you know so if you have a uh, a dm who's very heavily invested in using uh you know a gridded map um and moving around uh, uh character tokens and the players like to to position themselves and have a much more tactical battlefield you can do that uh within within fantasy grounds and if players like more theater of the mind kind of style of 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 play and and, and describing large cinematic you know swaths of action but allowing uh, fantasy grounds to handle a lot of the crunch and the mechanics. They can they can use it for that too. Um, and I also know people who use fantasy grounds uh, in their uh, just regular tabletop game as a as a kind of DM's aid in order to deal with a lot of the crunch and the mechanics, uh, so that people can focus on uh, other parts of the game that they might enjoy more, like like role playing or uh, you know coming up with funny voices or eating Cheetos. <laughs> Yes, yeah, those things are essential parts of the game as well. Exactly. <laughs> uh, in your mind, what do you guys think separates Fantasy Grounds from the competition? I have to say, in my opinion, uh, having one of the best-looking game tables out there, uh, it's, it's really a very nice visual experience. Um, and obviously also this uh, deal with uh, Wizards of the Coast and D&D is a big thing that you guys have. Uh, but what else in your mind separates you from the rest? Uh, for me, I think it's, you know, we focused a lot on the character sheets and I know other people have now started to focus more on the character sheets. So from the player perspective, that was always kind of a focus of ours. Uh, from the DM side is the campaign management uh, that I think is kind of one of the standouts and it's a lot of the, the tools and the automation to really help, uh, you know, run a lot of things, uh, you know, very smoothly. So, you know, the, the ability to, like we added a feature that's called a party sheet that where you can, as a DM, you can pull it up and you can, uh, you know, see all of the stats for the entire party of all the players at once. Or you can look at their inventory and see who's holding a specific item or uh, you can make it a, a, you know, a dexterity ch- a perception check across the entire, entire party, that sort of stuff. Uh, just just ways that I think, uh, you know, make it easier to, to really run your game and to manage it and to prep. And, and I personally, I... Uh, you know, I use it as well for my tabletop games in person, and I don't even uh, display the map portion. I just use it because I find that it's, uh, for me, the way that it was set up originally before I even came onto the company uh, was it, is such that it helps kind of spur my creativity and my imagination when I'm actually prepping stuff for my encounters. And even if you were to go with, say, like 
uh, the Lost Mine of Fandelver Adventure, each of those things, you know, you open up the cam- open up that module within your campaign to run it, but then you can customize it and you can actually unlock and edit any of those things and you can cut out big sections and replace it with your own. Uh, you know, you could switch out monsters within a single room or a dungeon. If you want to do something smaller, you can insert your own whole, you know, sections to play with. So, I mean, I think uh, for me, it's just the flexibility of the system. I mean, there, we have stuff in there that I don't even really use very much. Like we have a whole calendar system in there. And in fact, we have it loaded with, uh, you know, the calendar uh, for Forgotten Realms is, is one of the options in there too, where you can go through and you can run Forgotten Realms and you can actually advance the calendar and say, okay, well, it's Dell Reckoning, you know, 1862 and this is, you know, the, the month and that sort of stuff. So if people are really down to that level where the timing and uh, how much time has passed between sessions is very important, that's in there, you know. So it's just we're all about trying to add cool new features that people may or may not even choose to use. But having it there and having a, a wide set of choices, I think, is really uh, I think what makes Fantasy Grounds so special. I'm just going to add to that that the the, the wide breadth of choice of of how to uh, uh, purchase a license and get into the to the D and D content in Fantasy Grounds is also uh, I, I think a really rich, attractive thing. I mean, you can have people who uh, uh, have uh, a DM's license and can invite an infinite number of players into play, and then those players, uh, you know, they don't need to to purchase any of the packs. They can just all use whatever the DM has. Similar to you know the DM, any DM that I've ever played with is the one who owns the largest number of, of RPG books at the table. Uh, so that that concept kind of is, is similar uh, uh, here in Fantasy Grounds. You know, so you can you can spend uh, uh, a little bit of money to get the, the rules that you need in order to play the game. So if you're playing with a, a bard, for example, uh, in, in one campaign, and you want to be able to tweak your character when you're not connected into uh, uh, the DM's client, uh, you know, you, you, you drop a little bit of money. I think it's $5, right, Doug? I think that's right, yeah. And you have all the rules for all 20 levels of, of the bard uh, at your disposal. Whereas if you were playing in the in the tabletop game and you wanted to tweak that, you'd, you'd be, you know, throwing down $50 for uh, uh, a copy of the, of the PHB, um, you know, or obviously borrowing it from your friends and never giving it back. There's that too. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, I, I just like that that there's this huge menu and breadth of of, of you know being able to you know spend a lot and collect all of the, the the digital books, or you can spend as little as you want and and really get as much uh, from fantasy games as you would uh, uh, from from playing in a table uh, with your friends. Let's talk about pricing a little bit because that seems to be uh, where the community gets most hung up on all of this. Greg, I think you did a great job of explaining how it works. So if the DM has everything all you really need is fantasy grounds and the dm who has everything to play is that correct that's correct yeah so basically there's an an ultimate license and ultimate subscription so it's 10 bucks a month for an ultimate subscription and then the the players only need a demo license of fantasy grounds to to connect and play and and so uh you know then they would the dm can decide which of the you know modules they want to do or they can they can even run fifth edition without any of the modules i mean that's how that's how people were playing the various editions that didn't have an official license. But again, if you want it preloaded, now you have this option to then say, okay, well, I'm planning on having a lot of maybe demons and celestial creatures in my campaign. You could pick that pack up for five bucks, and now you've got all the tokens and the images um, and all the stats preloaded for you. So uh, it's really just kind of, uh, you know, I, I think that sometimes people focus only on the, okay, what if I bought every single thing that they have? In fact, <laughs> we, we have some people that, you know, they look at the DLC. 
that we have like on Steam, which is not even all of our store content out there yet. And I think it's like $1,200 worth of stuff or something. But we have like 20 different publishers that we carry products from and we have like over 300 products. So to convey to people that, yeah, that'd be like walking into your local gaming store and say, give me one of everything on the shelf and two of everything on that shelf. And, and then walking out with like, you know, uh, crates and crates and crates of books. And that's not really what people do. So, uh, yeah, you can go out and buy all these different game systems and modules, but you don't have to, you can only, you know, you only really have to buy what you really need to play or what you want, you know, to buy to play. That's really cool. And it also means that, you know, if, if, uh, the players want to help the DM, they can all chip in and then it costs less. You know, one person doesn't have to spend a lot of money. People can sort of pool their money together and buy a monster manual or, a, you know, the same way you would in, uh, in real life. If you absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, and steam has got the gifting system built into it. So it's really easy for you to just gift something to your DMs. Like your, your DMs running stuff all the time. And there's a, a token pack from an artist that you think would really be pretty cool that the DM could use. Then, you know, throw five bucks worth of product at your DM. And then, you know, over time he'll, he'll, he or she will amass, you know, lots of stuff and they'll probably run more games for you. So, and maybe not kill your character. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's akin to bringing beer to the table, right? You just exactly. uh, do it digitally. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. And you know, it's funny when this first came out, uh, we covered this on the podcast and I think we were all a little confused about how this works. So this definitely clears a lot up for me and hopefully for a lot of the listeners and everything out there, this is really good to hear. Uh, moving forward, I think the other thing that's really cool about this is if you're like me and you do play a lot of your games online, uh, rather than, oh, I need to pick up a hard copy of this module, you can just immediately pick up the virtual copy of the module and be good to go, uh, which yeah, is awesome. absolutely. And it has everything in it, so it's not like you're losing anything. And in fact, in some cases, we, add, we even add stuff to it. So like the Horde of the Dragon Queen... Uh, is chock full with all kinds of like uh, maps already, but there are a couple scenarios where there were no maps at all. And so, uh, you know, the, the guy that we're working with, we have just two of us in the company and we have another kind of official developer that we have that works with us a lot on, on the fifth edition content. And so he actually is also a really good cartographer and he added a lot of kind of like uh, special use maps for the various kind of small scenarios that would, uh, you know, you could, you could absolutely run them completely theater of the mind, but now you have, okay, here's like a woodland trail and here's an ambush choke point, And here's, you know, so he added like, I think 11 or 12 new maps to it as well. So, I mean, we look to, to do that sort of stuff as much as we possibly can to try to add, you know, extra value to it. Uh, same thing with like all the player's handbook and those packs, we were able to, to work with, uh, you know, with our contact at, with Chris Lindsay at Wizards of the Coast to say, Hey, what else can we include with this? That's not even in the printed book. So, what we were able to locate and working with Chris was that we could uh, find all of these portraits that that are spread, you know, across the Wizards of the Coast side, and maybe they were in the old D and D character builder tool and this and that and whatever. And so we were able to incorporate those and add that as an extra portrait pack that went with the content. So in that scenario, you're getting stuff that's not even in the in the player's handbook. I mean, Doug, maybe you can talk a little bit more about too the. Uh the, the added functionality of being able to drag and drop, you know, spell attacks and things like that. Yeah. And, and so like, for instance, the monster manual already has it so that, you know, all of the different attacks, like if a dragon or a hydra has, you know, multi-attack and a bite or, or whatever, then those things are all pre-coded in. But one of the things that we're in the process of adding right now, it's in our development channel, we'll be rolling, rolling it out soon, 
is we went back and we thought, hey, this is really pretty cool, but we could do even better. So like, there's a lot of monsters that have either innate spellcasting or they have full-blown spellcasting. And so um, the way that that's traditionally presented, like in the monster manual, is it's got, okay, uh, innate spellcasting, they could do these spells three per day, and they can do these at will and whatever, and it just lists what the spells are. So if you're running that in person, then you would have to then refer back to your book, look it up. Then you'd have to kind of look back and forth and say, okay, well, what's the DC for this creature when it casts the spell and that sort of thing? So what we've done is we've pre-calculated out what the DCs and what the spell attacks would be on all of those spells for that specific monster. And then we've also linked it with those spells so that you can pull up that spell kind of at a click and then you have the full spell ready to go. And then now you can go one step further and then you can target, like let's say if, if a Lich has a fireball spell that it knows or cloud kill or whatever, you can then have the Lich target the players that are under effect and then you can treat that just like you would his draining touch attack. You can now do a cloud kill against the players and have it automatically roll against their saving throw to see if they uh, had the, the DC 17 constitution save that they needed to. And then, uh, you know, and then have it do... You know, a lot of the spells are coded to do half damage on a save, mm-hmm. on a success. Then it'll actually, you know, you do the one attack to, to launch it against everybody, and then you do another attack to have it deal the damage, and it'll automatically calculate the half damage and apply it to everybody's character sheet. So it just uh, that sort of stuff to really, really speed up play, especially when you get into higher level stuff. Uh, I mean, that's the sort of stuff that we want in our game. So then we look and say, hey, I think the players would like this. Too. I think the community would like this. So even though the product's already been released we're always looking for new ways that we can enhance it. And, and we listen to a lot of the feedback in the community and the community has a lot of great ideas too about, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if this, and then we say, Oh yeah, that would be. And uh, yeah, it would be, but it's a lot of work. It may be a little while, or if it's something that we just get really inspired to work on, then we can roll that out. And because it's a digital product, we can push it to our patch system and it'll automatically flow out to everyone who, who had purchased that product. Wow. That is really, really cool. It sounds like, you know, you're looking for ways to always be more and more integrated with the rule set and the table, which is amazing. Uh, it sounds like you guys could be making a lot more money, like if you went into finance and programmed or something. Uh, so <laughs> thank you for uh, for using your talents in the gaming industry. That's amazing. Yeah, well, thankfully, that sort of stuff allowed me to then retire from that to work on something I love. <laughs> so, that's... so looking forward to the future uh, you know, as we see things like Elemental Evil, et cetera, roll out, um, you know, will we see things like the Elemental Evil Player Companion? Will that also make its way into the available packs and things for people to buy? Yeah, well, we've uh, recently been talking about that, you know, internally about the best way to do that sort of stuff. And we've got a couple of really pretty cool ideas. I can't go into a whole lot of detail yet because we're still kind of uh, trying to lock down exactly how we're going to handle that. But, but absolutely, that sort of stuff, uh, we want to try to, we want to try to cater to that as much as possible. And there might be some things that, that maybe are, you know, like the web articles and that sort of stuff that may not make it directly into something, but, you know, as much as possible, as much bandwidth, you know, as much as we have bandwidth to provide, uh, and as much as, you know, wiz- wizards obviously, um, is, is interested in including that we'd be happy to, you know, include all that sort of stuff. Nice, nice. And are you guys uh, are you guys playing games right now on Fantasy Grounds? Uh, I have just finished running my players through the Lost Mine of Fandelver, and uh, right now I'm so busy on the conversion and trying to get like the <laughs> Prince of the Apocalypse done that I haven't been able to start a new one yet. Um, and I'm in a I'm in the middle of a couple other in person games right now that I'm hoping those are going to finish up and I'll start playing uh, again as a player in another area too. So 
for me, it's uh, at the moment, no, but I just finished one and I'm hoping to get back into it as soon as possible. Nice, nice. That's amazing. And it ran great for you on uh, Fantasy Grounds? Yeah, well, you know, I used myself and, and my group as kind of test dummies for a lot of this sort of stuff. So uh, they were they were our beta testers and they would point out, hey, wait a minute, the, the weight on this item is is a little bit off. And when I have 10 arrows, now it shows that I'm encumbered as a result, you know, that sort of stuff. So uh, they were working. <laughs> I put them to work. Uh, Greg, you know, I was really excited to see Watsi get on board uh, with virtual tables because I kind of think of them as like, a great way to spread a hobby that, you know, is, is sort of in the minutia as far as popularity goes. Mm-hmm. What do you see uh, as Wizards' relationship with virtual tabletops continues to grow? How do you see that helping yourselves and the industry as a whole? Well, I think that over the course of the, uh, you know, last five to ten years, we've seen a huge growth in the amount of players who play D&D without being physically in the same room with someone. Uh, And I think traditionally, um, you know, uh, RPGs were always played around a table, rolling dice, and there was that that kind of ritual-esque, you know, feel around it. And, uh, uh, you know, some of those, the traditionalists may have scoffed at, you know, playing in front of a a camera as, as even being, you know, the same thing. But more and more we see that this is, uh, as online connectivity becomes better and, you know, obviously broadband and video streaming has is, is become a much uh, a more ubiquitous piece of technology that, that this is how people are connecting. This is how people are, are playing. Uh, and we want to enable that as much as possible. We want as many people being able to interact uh, and play Dungeons and Dragons uh, as they can. And so uh, when the relationship uh, came up with Fantasy Grounds as a way to, to kind of facilitate that using uh, the fifth edition uh, that was just recently produced, um, it, it just made perfect sense. We, it, it, if if there was a way for us to enable people to play Dungeons and Dragons all the time in every facet of their lives, we would make it happen. And so far, Fantasy Grounds is going to be uh, just another step along along that process. We want, I mean, we want people playing Dungeons and Dragons in their cars, in space, <laughs> uh, on the surface of the sun, like you know, it, it, I. I <laughs> You know, and as long as there's an internet connection, um, that's going to be completely possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm very glad to hear that. I think that's uh, an amazing goal. And I hope that you guys achieve it because that's good for everybody if that happens. Um, It's true. Yeah. (laughs) One final question for you guys. How pumped are you for Rage of Demons? I'm super pumped. I mean, I, I was having that under my hat for a long time, uh, and I was happy to be able to announce it to the world yesterday and, uh, you know, share the, the the glee of going down into the Underdark and having one of the most iconic, you know, dungeons that's ever been created for, for, for Dungeons & Dragons be expanded into this whole kind of uh, a wide breadth of, of world and a lot of the internal art that we've seen that we're going to start bringing out over the over the course of the next month few months uh it's just going to show how the underdark is is this wonderful interesting uh, uh mad chaotic place uh and how there's full of these strange uh somewhat dark characters but then also these flashes of, of heroism and, and good that that can also uh be found uh, uh beneath the forgotten realms and you know, I'm I'm excited about all the characters that that people are going to meet. You know, especially uh, Drist to Orden, which I know uh, some people really identify as as one of the most iconic 
uh, D&D characters. He's spanned, you know, 20 plus novels uh, by R.A. Salvatore um, and people who aren't even, you know, I wouldn't even say gamers or, or, or specific D&D fans can identify with Drist. And, and, and we really want uh, him to be this uh, uh, linchpin that kind of brings all of uh, uh, the various audiences uh, that uh, interact with Dungeons and Dragons together. Um, and I know, uh, you know, some people have, have talked about uh, his involvement in the TRPG product and it's still, it's going to be, I think people are going to be really pleasantly surprised uh, with uh, how that story is, is handled and how it's going to unfold. Uh, it's going to be really unexpected and uh, uh, lots of fun for, for me on the inside to watch people experience. And, and for me, I'll say uh, I'm a huge uh, Bob Salvatore fan. I've, uh, he's probably one of my favorite authors. And what he has done in the Underdark in general, uh, not specific, specifically just with the Dritz character, but with the with the whole matriarchal society and and the Minza Baranzin supplement that came out back in the AD&D days, uh, that sort of stuff, I thought is just uh, an excellent material for a DM to use and play and uh, and to run a group through. And I'm really really looking forward to it. I also know um, you know the authors of of the um, tabletop supplement that's coming out, uh, adventure that's coming out. And I've looked at a lot of their work, and we actually work with them uh, outside of, of this as well. And so I know the, the caliber of, of the writing that's going to come into this product. I'm really, really looking forward to, to starting it. And uh, I'm, I'm curious if we're going to be able to run like a Surf uh, Neblin rating party or something like that. That's kind of what, <laughs> what I would like to do as a, as a player. And one of the things is with 5th edition, uh, you now could actually do that and be reasonably effective because of the way that, you know, dexterity-based builds. It's not like you can't uh, only build a fighter-based, uh, a strength-based fighter nowadays. Now you actually have uh, a lot more flexibility in, in coming up with characters that are not going to feel like they're crippled because, you know, you get a different vision for your, for your character. So I, I'm really excited about it. I think it's uh, a lot of really cool creatures that you experience only in the Underdark, the hook horrors, the mind flayers. Of course, you could experience some of those, you know, the mind flayers outside of it. But I mean, that's just, there's all kinds of things that can kill people down in the Underdark. And, and that's, <laughs> that's really exciting, you know, as a DM to think of all the ways my characters, my players might die is, uh, is exciting for me. I love the, uh, uh, the demon lords too. Like I, I'm really excited yeah. to see. Uh, you know, these were some of the first uh, kind of demonic creatures that were created by Gary Gygax for the, uh, uh, I think it was, uh, I forget the name of the specific, I think it was like the third supplement from the white box uh, kind of level of, of additions. I forget what it was called. Uh, but, you know, the, the, some of these characters harken back all the way back to those days. You know, Orcus, who's the, the prince of undeath and what he's able to do. Uh, he, he might have a relationship with those mind flayers. Uh, and uh, Demogorgon and, and, and the, the new imaginings, the, the way the art team here has created uh, such great vivid recreations of these demon lords uh, is going to be really cool. And they each have their own little, you know, sphere of influence almost similar to to the 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 D deities in a way where like you know uh grast is is all about lust and using you know uh, uh you know sexual uh, uh temptation in order to get his way and then there's Fraz Urblu who's all about deception he knows he's not as big or as strong as the other demon lords but he can take any form and, and deceive uh uh party members or other you know other demons or other characters within the underdark to get his way uh one of my favorites is the uh the queen of fungi, Zigutnoi, <laughs> and how she is able to create uh, almost um, 
you know, like the uh, the clickers from The Last of Us, uh, creating these these fungal slaves of hers uh, in in any of the humanoid races, uh, but then definitely the myconids and uh, 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 and there's actually uh, I might spoil a little bit of something here, but there's a uh, uh, a huge uh, fungus that's a fungal a sentient fungal creature in the Underdark, awesome. um, and. Uh, city, you know, nation sized, uh, uh, fungus that is sentient. And of course, Zagutmoy has, has an interest, uh, with, with, with that thing as well. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. And, and, and Doug, as Doug mentioned, we're working with uh, green Ronin, uh, in, in creating, uh, the out of the Abyss adventure. Um, and they've got such great, uh, experience. Chris Bramis, uh, uh, leads a great team there. And, uh, we're really excited to, uh, see how, the, the open world nature of that adventure uh, uh, is able to kind of let players just kind of explore and uh, meet different new characters and new locations and, uh, and tell their own story uh, throughout the Underdark. And I'm, I'm, it's going to be really cool. Yeah, it sounds like a perfect pairing with Green Ronin. I mean, this, uh, and it's so cool. I was squealing like a little girl reading the press release yesterday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, some great demon lords in there some deep cuts that we haven't seen in a long time so uh you know i'm, I'm excited guys thank you so much for being on the round table today uh if people want to learn more about fantasy grounds and about D, where can they go uh they can just go to www.fantasygrounds.com and from there uh right off the homepage right now there's a link that takes you to uh, a breakout section just talking only about like the the dungeons and dragons fifth edition content and what you'll need to get up and running and of course, you can head to DungeonsandDragons.com uh, and learn about, uh, you know, see the press release. Go, go actually there and, and DungeonsandDragons.com and see the cool animated billboard we have for uh, Rage Demons right now. We took the, the key art uh, and made it uh, shift and move a little bit. And I'm a big fan of what the art team and the web team was able to put together for that, uh, for the announcement yesterday. So check that out, too. Yeah, Sweet. I'm looking at it right now. It's, it's so badass. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait for September. Cool. <laughs> Me too. And, and what about you guys personally? Do you have any Twitter accounts or anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, you can hit me up at, at SmiteWorks. And I'm at Greg Tito, simple enough. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, Wizards underscore D&D uh, Twitter feed is what you should follow if you want to get all the latest news there. Of course, and we will link everything for anyone listening over at thetomeshow.com in the show notes for this episode. Guys, thank you very much for being on the roundtable today. Thanks, James. Thanks so much, James. It was great to be on. People, if you have an opinion or a question or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, you can reach out to me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website at thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world that I'm building. It's over at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup and to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.